0: the truth news network one man can change the world it's done every day kepler copernicus ptolemy lister they all change the world interesting that these are scientists And the hallmark of science is skepticism and a relentless pursuit of truth. Starting to see a picture? Good. And here to clarify that picture for you, from TNN, the Truth News Network, Dan Newman. And just because we think something's right doesn't make it right. Just because we may think something's wrong doesn't mean that it's wrong. So often, sometimes, somewhere in between those two, lies the truth. And that's what we're about. We're here today to join forces with you and find some facts. And to do it, although sometimes it's really uncomfortable, we got to jump on the rabbit trail, which means we got to go through the woods and look here and look there and find a little bit here and find something over there and put it all together and come up with facts. How about that? Well, God gave us the ability to reason, didn't he? And that's what we use here. And that's what you're learning to use in maybe different ways. But maybe we're just reinforcing the way that you've always felt, which is throw the bad stuff out, the falsehoods, and just grab the truth and hold on to it for dear life. And in many respects, folks, that's all we have left. We got to find those things with which we can make pillars in our lives on which we can build. And the truth is a great place to start that. Well, how you doing? Man, this week has really been a big week. It seems like just when we think this can't get any bigger, more important, more crazy than last week, we find out, yep, somehow, some way, it got ramped up a notch or two. And that's what we're dealing with now. Did you watch any of the zoo yesterday? The zoo? Yeah, in the Senate, before the Armed Services Committee. Our three top generals met with our members of the Senate Armed Services Committee to kind of break down all of the crazy stuff that happened in the, this Afghanistan withdrawal and the aftermath, trying to figure out the responsible parties and all of the stuff that happened. And the three that were there, um, they didn't hesitate to drop some folks in the grease. And the people they dropped in the grease happened to be the president of the United States. So we're not going to spend a whole lot of time on it this morning, but there are some very important things that came out of that Senate hearing yesterday. And uh, we're going to start with a synopsis by one of the mainstream media outlets. We don't normally do this, but these folks kind of did a great summation. Here's ABC News telling us some of the stuff that happened. In yesterday's hearing before the armed services committee in the senate
1: the grilling on capitol hill today america's top military leaders pressed on the chaotic and deadly withdrawal from afghanistan and appearing to contradict president biden when they revealed that their advice was to leave a small u.s troop force in afghanistan president biden telling george stephanopoulos right here that no one said we should keep 2500 troops he said no one said that to me that i can recall Tonight we pressed the White House on that. It was a tense day on the Hill. Joint Chiefs Chairman General Mark Milley, Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin, and Central Command Chief General Frank McKenzie appearing for the first time since the withdrawal. General Mark Milley testifying it was his opinion that some 2,500 troops should have remained in Afghanistan. General McKenzie saying he also agreed on a small U.S. presence. Secretary Austin acknowledging the intelligence failures over the course of many years when asked how that country collapsed to the Taliban in just 11 days. And the chairman of the Joint Chiefs, General Milley, was also questioned about his calls with his counterpart in China during the final months of the Trump presidency in an effort to reassure China that President Trump and the U.S. were not planning any kind of attack. How he explained those calls. Our chief global affairs correspondent, Martha Raddatz, leading us off tonight. Good morning.
2: It was an extraordinary moment. For the first time, the president's top military advisors publicly acknowledging they did not support pulling all U.S. troops out of Afghanistan and implying they conveyed their concerns to the commander in chief.
3: My assessment was. Uh, Back in the fall of 20, and it remained consistent throughout, that uh, we should keep a steady state of 2,500, and it could bounce up to 3,500, maybe something like
1: that. Did you ever present that assessment personally to President Biden?
3: I don't discuss exactly what uh, my conversations are with the sitting president in the Oval Office, but I can tell you what my personal opinion was, and I'm okay. always candid.
2: That contradicts what President Biden told George Stephanopoulos just over a month ago.
3: So no one no one told, your military advisors did not tell you, no, we should just keep, 2,500 troops, it's been a stable situation for the last several years. We can do that, we can continue to do that. No, no one said that to me that I can recall.
2: The head of U.S. Central Command, General McKenzie, going even further, saying he had given warning about what would happen if we didn't leave 2,500 troops behind.
0: And my view is that 2,500 was an appropriate number to remain, and that if we went below that number, in fact, we would probably witness a collapse of the Afghan government. and uh, and the Afghan military, so. General General McKenzie, may I I just,
3: I guess my question is, would it be fair for the committee to assume that both President Trump and President Biden received that specific information?
0: I believe it would be uh, reasonable for the committee to assume that.
2: But the Pentagon and the intelligence community also feeling the heat today. All the leaders testified they were surprised by the swift surrender of the Afghan forces the Secretary of Defense admitting intelligence failures.
0: We didn't fully comprehend the depth of corruption and poor leadership in the senior ranks.
2: Today, Chairman Milley also addressing reports that in the waning days of the Trump administration, he reached out to his Chinese counterpart to assure him the U.S. was not preparing to attack China. According to the book Peril, intelligence showed China was concerned because of escalating rhetoric from former President Trump. Milley testifying he was told to reach out to China by the Secretary of Defense.
3: I know, I am certain that President Trump did not intend to attack the Chinese and it is my directed responsibility and it was my directed responsibility by the secretary to convey that intent to the Chinese.
2: Milley insisting everyone from the Secretary of State Mike Pompeo to the White House Chief of Staff knew about this. And he pushed back on another story in the book, that in a phone call with House Speaker Nancy Pelosi after the January 6th riot, he agreed with her assessment that Trump was crazy.
3: I'm not qualified to evaluate the mental fitness or the health of a former president, present president or anybody else or anybody in this room. That's not my job. That's not what I do and that's not what I
1: did. And Martha Raddatz with us live from Washington. Martha, we all watched today as Chairman Milley was also pressed about the danger in Afghanistan right now and whether that country could again become a safe haven for terrorists.
2: Exactly, David. And general, Milley acknowledged that Al Qaeda is still operating in Afghanistan, saying a reconstituted Al Qaeda or ISIS with aspirations to attack the United States is a very real possibility. And he summed up our 20-year war calling it a strategic failure
0: a strategic failure that's not like anything we heard come out of biden's mouth nor the mouths of these generals subsequent to our withdrawal with all of the stuff that you and i saw you know when you see stuff like that we're seeing only what the media want to show us i mean look at our southern border the Biden administration knew that the American public were very upset with what was going on down at the Southern border and they didn't want us to know how bad it was. So they just said, no media, they wouldn't let the media have any contact with any of those illegals down there. And, uh, even as what was portrayed during the Trump administration when it was still going on down there, in fact, it had ramped up a bit. Um, Donald Trump let the media in. So we saw everything. And so what this does is it just feeds the feelings of Americans that our government is hiding things from us. And if they're hiding things from us, why are they hiding them? They couldn't be good. They couldn't be good things happening to show how good this administration is working for the American people. And you know what the, 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 the most... I don't know. I can't even understand if an administration, a political administration at any level, federal, state, or local, if they want the American people to continue to support them in the jobs they're hired to do, hired through elections, don't you think they would shine the light on everything going on so there wouldn't be any questions asked? They would want the people to trust them. So, They would be transparent, right? I'm sick and tired of hearing politicians throw that T word around. Transparent. Transparent. Folks, there's only one definition of transparent. You can see right through it. And that's anything but what is happening in this administration. What's scariest to me about all this is what we see is pretty bad in most cases. I haven't seen very much good come out of this administration any of this government's policies, its legislation that it's put forth to pass in Congress, executive orders, nothing is transparent. But it's all driven by something very obvious, and that's their quest for unlimited power over the American people in every category of our lives. And they're so bold now because there's very little, if any, pushback from those of us that have some leg to stand on to do some pushback. And so that just makes them more bold, more hungry for more power. And they just keep shoving and shoving and shoving. So when you talk about power and you talk about military, the three gentlemen that were up there yesterday before the Senate Armed Services Committee, and by the way, right now as we are doing this show, they're in front of the House Armed Services Committee testifying. And I'm sure some of the questions that are coming from those representatives in the House on that committee are just takeoffs from what they heard these three testify yesterday before the Senate Armed Services Committee. But I wonder how much of the truth of all of this are we actually going to see? Like General Milley said, what you just heard, oh, it's not my practice to share anything about my private conversations with the president. It's not my practice to do that. Well, he was confronted when he said that by Senator Marsha Blackburn from Tennessee. She just jumped in the middle of General Milley. Listen to this back and forth.
4: General Milley, I want to come back to you. Uh, We discussed that you have had conversations with Woodward, Costa, Leonig, Rucker, and Bender on their books, correct?
3: Not Costa.
4: You did not on Costa. Well, not, he took not social media. Woodward, uh, yes, and others. We'll, we'll leave that as a point of discussion. Okay, in any of these conversations, did you discuss private meetings with the President or White House officials?
3: White House officials, perhaps President. I don't think so.
4: So you never discussed any of your your conversations with President Trump
3: with President Trump
4: with uh, any of these authors. Not
3: not a private conversation. Okay.
4: Did you portray the Commander in Chief in a negative light or make comments that were critical of the Commander in Chief to any of these authors with which you had conversations?
3: Uh, Not. My comments or my observations, no. Others that were relayed to me from
4: others, perhaps. Well, I'm looking forward to your book report on this. Uh, Would you see these conversations as an abuse of executive privilege? I would not, no. You would not, okay. Let me ask you this. What is your standard for determining when to leak private conversations with a president?
3: I don't leak private conversations with the president.
4: You did not. So you had these conversations with the authors, but you don't see that as leaking information to which they were not entitled to know. See, this is the problem that we have. See, as a member of this committee and as someone who represents a lot of our men and women in uniform that are there, as we've referenced today, I've really got an issue with the fact that you will talk to authors But then you all come in here and you say, well, we can't tell you what we told the president. And then I have to drag it out of you that the written documents, which under Article 2, you're supposed to give those to us. You can't go hide behind somebody's skirts on this. And you don't want to give those to us. So you've Repeatedly told this committee that you will not reveal your private conversations with President Biden, but then you've leaked this information from your meetings with President Trump. So it is important to us that you truthfully respond to us on this. And I think what you did with making time to talk to these authors, burnishing your image, kind of, you know, building that bluster, but then not putting the focus on Afghanistan and what was happening there. General Milley, that is really disappointing to me. I know it's disappointing to people that have served with you or under you, under your command, and it does not serve our nation well
0: so you heard just a a little bit of the back and forth marcia blackburn senator from tennessee she just uh she jumped right in the middle of the chairman of the joint chiefs there it seemed like yesterday millie was the one on the hot seat when we get through with this segment i'm going to give you a synopsis of what my thoughts are what is about to happen or what's underway but nevertheless while she was having that conversation with general millie the thought crossed my mind now he's speaking and he admitted it. He had interviews with people that are writing books. You know, those D.C. soap opera tell-alls where bureaucrats in Congress and, and, and even other parts of the government, when they leave their jobs or even while they're there, it's a great opportunity to get a book deal. And nowadays, if you're in the Potomac Valley, that area surrounding D.C., and something big happens in your life politically, it's an opportunity to go ding, 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 ding and get these big signing bonuses for the big publishers in the nation to get their hands on rights to whatever you want to tell happened on your watch. So this question just popped in my mind when we were listening to Senator Blackburn and General Milley. I wonder if they were paid. I wonder if Milley was paid by these authors or by these publishing companies to sit down for these two-hour segments. That's about what he said he was doing, was about two hours. Think about that. Why would a general even do that? There's only two reasons that I can surmise would be a purpose for doing it. One is if they think the commander in chief with whom they work with or supposedly work for is doing something wrong. Now, I don't know that if it was me in General Milley's position and he felt that way about Donald Trump, I don't know that the way I would get it out would be to go to somebody writing a tell-all book. So that leaves the other question of why. And in my mind, the only question that really matters in this, what do we say here all the time? You got a question about why is about anything in D.C.? How do you get the answer? Almost every time, follow the money. I wonder if Millie got anything. And nobody asked him that. I haven't heard if anybody asked him that in the hearing yesterday. But Senator Josh Hawley from Missouri, who I really like a lot, I think he's got a great future in politics. I mean, he's already at the epitome of a place in the. U.S. Congress as a U.S. Senator, but I can see him actually looking toward the White House at some point in the future. He and Tom Cotton, Senator out of Arkansas, are two that I really, really like in that regard. But back to this thing. And by the way, we're going to get away from this Joint Chiefs um, and um, Secretary of Defense and CENTCOM leader interviews with Senate and House Armed Services Committee. We're going to get away from this in just a minute. And when we finish this segment, I'm going to give you some information that will blow your mind. But Josh Hawley, he got his shot at General Mark Milley. Listen to Josh tie the general up in knots, just making realistic, reasonable points that anybody in a senior position in the federal government ought to automatically know about and be able to just pop back with an answer. But Milley actually crawls a little bit in front of Josh Hawley because he
1: can't really grasp what he should say. The grilling on Capitol Hill today. America's top military leaders pressed on the chaotic and deadly withdrawal.
0: We've already heard that. That was an opening part of this segment with ABC News. We're looking for the Josh Hawley segment. Here it is. Here's Senator Hawley from Missouri and General Mark Milley. Senator Kelly, Senator Howley, please.
5: Thank you, Mr. Chairman. General Milley, I've just got one more question for you about these many book interviews that you did, I Alone Can Fix It's one book, Perils, another book. Frankly, we did win this election, the inside story of how Trump lost is the third book. Seems like that's a significant outlay of time.
3: I don't think so. I I think that- They were short interviews? Relatively short. I don't think it took an excessive amount of time. What was
5: the time frame on these, on these interviews for these three different books? These, these are, deep, By the way, you know, these, are, these are for folks who don't know at home. You said you didn't read the books. I don't think most people probably do. These are DC Insider tell-all type books. Uh, but when, what was the time frame, did you say, that you were doing these interviews? I would say it took a couple of hours, maybe. But what, when? What's the time frame? When were you sitting for them? Dates? Um, I can get you the dates. I don't know, I, I, this I don't know year?
3: off the top of my head, but I'll get you the dates.
5: 20, 2021? Oh yeah. yeah. So, so it was, it was this, this calendar year. I think so, yeah, sure. Well, I, I just am wondering is this, clearly this is a priority for you. You did these on the record, by the way. All these interviews are on the record, with these reporters, they quote there, you. I do interviews on
3: the record, off the record, and I do background interviews. And I do all of that with print media, television media, books, Documentaries, all kinds of things.
5: I th- why would you do? Why would you do background and off-the-record interviews? Background means you can't quote you. Background and off-the-record off interviews. If the goal is transparency,
3: the transparency goes to the fact to make sure that we are explaining ourselves, to make sure that uh, these authors have correct information. Uh, it's you know, not for, Let's take you. Woodward for example. Probably two hundred people. Uh, interviewed and they approach uh, my guys to say are these facts true this is what we heard uh-huh. so we
5: clar- clarify and mitigate uh-huh. any incorrect information. Interesting well I-, I just seemed it's interesting I mean you're, you're doing these interviews you're, you're doing them in, in 2021 I, it just makes me wonder all of these different books were you maybe a little distracted maybe a little distracted about what was going on in Afghanistan? Here's why I'm asking. General Miller testified to this committee that he wrote, warned about the rapid erosion of the military situation in Afghanistan as early as March of 2021. He further testified that he informed you he about did. his view on this. He, he also testified that he said that the collapse of the Afghan security forces and the Afghan government could come very fast Hard in 2021.
3: Fast. Hard and fast. As well. And
5: he said that he informs you this. He also said that he informed Secretary Austin of this. He did. Now- at the same time, however, in June, you were saying, and I quote you now, an outright takeover by the Taliban is unlikely. That's at an Armed Services Committee meeting in the House, June 23rd. In July, you said the Afghan security forces have the capacity to sufficiently fight and defend their country. You also said that they were well-equipped. On June 17th, you told the Senate Appropriations Committee the Afghan government had a 325 to 350,000 person security force, which we now know is a drastic overestimate. A few days later, you lowered that to 300,000 which we still know is a drastic overestimate. Your general's on the ground, your commander on the ground is saying one thing. The Taliban has a massive offensive underway from May 1st on, but yet you seem to, you told us very different things in public. How do you reconcile those things? What am I missing?
3: Well, first of all, Scott Miller did say hard and fast, and he also meant that, at least to me and to others, that he meant that to be in the fall, October, November maybe even december time frame. I heard
5: you say that earlier. Yeah. I'm curious about that. I have yeah. to tell you that wasn't his
3: testimony to this committee. Well, what he said in the committee was hard and fast. He didn't put a date on it. Is I is the readouts to me. I don't know. Did he put a date on it?
5: Um, no, so, he didn't put a date on but he it. He did you put, put a, a date on it. on it. That's what intrigues me.
3: But he did put a date on it with me uh, uh. and to us. Uh, and when when pressed it was after we leave that was point 1, which was 31 August. Uh, and probably into the October time frame, maybe Thanksgiving. And that is about, more or less, where many of the intel assessments were. He
5: involved. said he was a dissenter on the intel he, he did. assessment. He did. That's right. And most- he didn't put any of those quali- qualifiers on his testimony to us. So are you saying he shifted his testimony, General Miller, that he, he wasn't? No, I'm saying what he told me was
3: it would it was likely to be in the October time frame. The intel assessments are centering around November, Thanksgiving, at the latest Christmas. Some intel assessments went into the next year. My Here's my point, Senator is the Intel assessments uh, had two basic things, uh, in my view, uh, was the, the scale and scope plus the speed. Uh, all the Intel assessments, all of us, got that wrong. There's no question about it. Uh, that was a swing and a miss on the Intel assessment of 11 days in August. There's nobody that called that. Well, you can you know I just, General, my, my
5: time is about, I, I appreciate yeah. that you've made these points. I don't mean to cut you off. It's just that my time is about to expire. I just wanna, I just wanna say this it seems to me that you put a high priority on making sure that you were favorably portrayed by the DC press corps. You spent a lot of time doing that. Fair enough if that's your priority. But at the same time, we had a rapidly deteriorating, frankly, disastrous situation in Afghanistan, which resulted in the death of 13 soldiers, including one from my home state, hundreds of civilians and hundreds of Americans left behind. And in my view, that mission can't be called a success in any way, shape or form, logistical or otherwise. General, I think you should resign. Secretary Austin, I think you should resign. I think this mission was a catastrophe. I think there's no other way to say it, and there has to be accountability. I respectfully submit it should begin with you. Senator. Thank you, Kimes, Mr. chairman bye.
0: I think Senator Hawley put it very succinctly there after listening to Secretary of Defense, General Austin, Lloyd Austin, and then General Milley who is um, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs. I think of the three, McKenzie, the director of CENTCOM, Central Command, I think if any of the three shouldn't leave office, shouldn't resign their post, I think maybe McKenzie. Why is that, Dan? Because he took, before the committee, and he already had in public, took accountability for that drone strike after the withdrawal. You remember when we were in the middle of the withdrawal, And that drone strike happened, and it was retaliation on the part of the Biden administration because of the bombing, the suicide bombing that happened at the gate outside the Kabul airport that killed those Americans and killed all those Afghan citizens. And um, it was supposed to be a target, and that vehicle was an ISIS-K expert, top-notch, one of the leaders in ISIS, with somebody in him in that car that was was part of the ISIS K. And it turned out to be nobody, even military. And it included seven kids. He took responsibility for that. Millie took none. Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin took none. And so my consensus in all this, just to be completely honest with you, my consensus is they all need to go. They all need to go because maybe one reason, besides the obvious, they missed it, they messed up, that was their job, and people paid for their mess-ups with their lives, and are still doing so. In just a couple of minutes, you're going to hear a story about Americans left and cobbled. No, None of the mainstream media are talking about, hey, what's going on with these Americans? How many are there? Folks... Our Defense Department, the Pentagon, also the State Department. They know exactly how many Americans were left behind in Afghanistan. They know exactly how many. Anybody from the United States that goes there, there's a record. They have to apply for a visa. They apply through our State Department. Our State Department, if they clear them, they transport that information about the traveler to the Afghanistan government they have to approve it in advance and when you make application to our state department to go to afghanistan you have to include everything even the flight numbers going and coming back copies of your tickets where you're going to be when you are there they have all this information they've lied to the american people and they still are in just a moment we're going to go to our first break when we come out of this break You're going to hear something that happened, it's coming out overnight, it's going to blow your mind. And it has to do with Americans left behind.
3: See the bold new expression of sporty style, hear the amazing quietness of a truly luxurious cabin, feel the exceptional horsepower and amazing torque, and experience greater acceleration than ever before. Behold, the most powerful sedan in its class. The new Toyota
1: Camry. Real power, absolute performance. Discover the new Camry at toyota.com.my. Welcome aboard Pizza Hut, where our legendary pan stuffed crust pizzas will fly you to a world of flavors. Taste an all-American pizza sauce, juicy pepperoni, and farm-fresh mozzarella to discover America's mega pepperoni. Or explore the creamy pesto sauce. Chicken and Mushroom is in the French Creamy Chicken Mushroom. Fly far above the rest and taste the variety with five new pizzas. And thank you for flying Pizza Hut.
2: A friend of mine said he wanted to talk to me about my Volvo. I told him, thank you, that's between me and my gynecologist. He said, no, no, your car, your Volvo 850 Turbo Sports Wagon. I said, oh, that. Nope, you can't drive it. Oh, I love my Volvo. Sure, it's safe, but gee, just because driving on the freeways of Southern California is the equivalent of playing bumper cars at the speed of light, what kind of reason is that? Volvos are still ultra luxury imports, sleek and gorgeous and loaded to hear. Safe and sexy, and pardon me, I have to go hug my car now.
1: What's safe and sexy? Viva la Volvo. Test drive a Volvo 850 at your Southern California Volvo dealer.
2: Since when is safe sexy, another friend asked. Hey, I said, what decade are you living in?
0: Hey, have you read the story on the front page of truthnewsnet.org today? Our guest writer, Kelly Nelson, published a blockbuster. It's about former... Vice President Mike Pence hadn't heard much from him. What's he been about? What's he been up to? Don't miss that story today. We're not going to go into detail here for lack of time, but I'm going to tell you what. It's very eye-opening. It gives you some information about a lot of things that you probably had questions about and you wondered about. We're always about finding the facts and bringing those facts to you, as is Kelly Nelson. So, that's I forget the name of it. I think it's where has Mike Pence been and what's he been up to? Check out the story later today. Back to what we were talking about, Afghanistan. You heard about these three generals testifying yesterday before the Senate Armed Services Committee, right now before the House Armed Services Committee. And they're trying to get our representatives in Congress are trying to get the facts of why and how and who and what happened regarding this horrible withdrawal from Afghanistan that a bunch of people paid with their lives. We know that a lot of Americans were left behind, and that's been, the, I guess, the fly in the ointment that uh, prevents me from giving anybody in our military. Nobody at the Pentagon deserves any kind of kudos because Americans are still there behind our enemy lines. How many? Well, we still don't know. But guess what? Overnight, a private charter jet left Kabul, Afghanistan, bringing over 100 Americans and green card holders, as well as nine special immigrant visa holders, back to the United States. Groups of veterans and concerned Americans have come together utilizing their expertise gained from years of service to ensure that those Americans in need are not left behind behind. Mark Geist is with the Shadow Warriors Project. The Shadow Warriors Project assisted Project Dynamo and the Human First Coalition. Among those people that were evacuated from Kabul were 59 kids under the age of 18, 16 kids under the age of 3. Geist couldn't provide the exact number of Americans aboard the plane at the time, and we'll have more information once it lands in the United Arab Emirates before its final destination to the U.S. So that is great news. Think about it. Oh, we don't have hardly anybody. Uh, It's in the hundreds, maybe 100. Well, there's 100, folks, and there are more behind them. We know that. So they got out late yesterday, and they went to Abu Dhabi in the UAE. But then listen to this. This came out just moments ago. The Department of Homeland Security, Joe Biden's Department of Homeland Security, denied landing rights in the U.S. for that charter flight carrying more than 100 Americans and green card holders from Kabul. They will not allow a charter on an international flight into a U.S. port of entry. That's from Brian Stern as a founder of that non-profit group, Project Dynamo. The evacuation late yesterday was part of a multi-group effort from Project Dynamo, the Human First Coalition and the Shadow Warriors Project. Family, listen to this, folks. Families that were on this jet are currently being held captive in a hangar at an airport at Abu Dhabi according to organizers of the evacuation. Their conditions there are poor. Limited food and water, no shower options, poor bathrooms, restricted movement. They're on an airfield. Families are sleeping on concrete or tile floors, hard plastic chairs, and very little access to water. We have an immediate and urgent need for food and diapers in the airport. There are no stores in the hangar where they are. I've spent all night on the phone trying to get supplies to them, and I can't. That's from a spokesman, Jen Wilson of Project Dynamo. She said the initial plan was to move the passengers to a different charter jet when they got to Abu Dhabi, which Customs and Border Protection cleared to ultimately land at John F. Kennedy International Airport in New York. Great plan, right? Great place to land. Well, that plan changed. To landing at Dulles in Virginia before the flight was denied any landing rights in the United States. Now we got some numbers, finally. Among those on board, 28 Americans, 83 green card holders, 6 people with U.S. special immigration visas that include 59 children. So, what happens now? Well, organizers now have the option of using a plane from Egypt. So they already had one charter flight that these nonprofits paid for. To fly those people from Abu Dhabi to Cairo is where they're going to go now, but they got to get a different plane. They could then potentially fly to Dulles in Virginia, but would still need security clearance, you know, to land in the United States. The cost so far a half a million dollars. The projected cost to finish this thing up, if they can fly to Egypt and then to the US, is another half a million dollars. There's no assurance that that's even going to happen. I have a big, beautiful, giant, humongous Boeing 787 that is parked right here in front of me. I have a crew. I have food. Now, let me ask you this. If you were Joe Biden, well, let me just rephrase it. If Donald Trump was in the White House, well, the first obvious thing is this would have never happened. But let's just say it did. People got left behind in Afghanistan. Afghanistan. And some private individuals and groups that were raising private money, no government funds whatsoever, private bucks, chartered a jet. If you've never flown private, folks, it's extremely expensive. And when you get into jumbo jets, it's hellaciously expensive, not to mention crew, food, water. Gate fees to any time you land in an airport, you gotta pay to land there, you gotta pay to take off, and they're humongous with their fees. Do you think Donald Trump would have not turned on the green light even before they left Kabul to come to the United States? What the heck is going on in Joe Biden's world? These are people that are sleeping on concrete floors at an interim airport, they got, by the skin of their teeth, they got out of Afghanistan. American citizens with green card holders and special visa immigrants that have already been cleared in every way. That is the epitome of the lack of leadership from the White House to the Joint Chiefs of Staff right on down the line. Secretary of State, Lloyd Austin, Secretary of Defense. Folks, they all need to go. They need to, if they want to keep any shred of credibility, any kind of picture of their integrity, they need to resign and do it immediately. And believe me, There are people that can step up and take over and do a better job. Whether or not they'll do it, I doubt they will. This administration props up people that are losers. I mean, this entire group of people, Lloyd Austin, Antony Blinken, Secretary of State, they were all part of the Hillary Clinton-Barack Obama debacle that happened. They created ISIS When Hillary Clinton was Secretary of State, Antony Blinken was her right-hand go-to guy, Lloyd Austin was the commander of CENTCOM over all the military in the Middle East. Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton gave weapons and bragged about giving weapons, arming hundreds of Syrian rebels to go fight Basr Assad, the, the dictator over the nation of Syria. He was gassing his own people and was killing them. But those were not Syrian rebels that they got all those weapons from the United States. They were the beginning group of ISIS. And Obama and Clinton and Lloyd Austin... And Antony Blinken, they were right in the middle of all of that. They knew what was going on when Benghazi happened, and they all got a free pass. And so here you have a Secretary of State, Antony Blinken, a career bureaucrat, has a horrible past in service. Lloyd Austin, who was complicit in the decisions made about Benghazi and arms to Syria. And Joe Biden, come on, folks, that's the perfect storm in politics. And guess who is paying the price? Americans, green card holders, special visa immigrants. They have hardly any food, any water. They're in Abu Dhabi, the United Arab Emirates and they thought they were going to be home when they got on that jumbo jet in Kabul, Pakistan, Afghanistan. They thought they were flying home and they can't even go home because our United States government won't give them clearance to land. Now, put that in the context of we have a hundred thousand Afghanistan refugees, none of them. None of them, less than 2% of them were vetted that have landed and been here. We're paying for them to be here. But we can't open the door for citizens, green card holders, and visa holders. We should be the ones that brought them back, not private Americans that because of the lack of of action by our government got the chutzpah and got the money together to do it themselves because our government wouldn't do it? Our government wouldn't save these American people? If that doesn't tell you something about this president, nothing will. And one more thing before we leave this entire topic. This was lightly mentioned yesterday, but Mark Milley, you just heard him in a couple of those soundbites, he asked his Russian counterpart last week, Mark Milley, chairman of the Joint Chiefs, number one guy in our American military, asked his Russian counterpart about an earlier offer made by Vladimir Putin for the U.S. to use Russian military bases in Central Asia to monitor emerging security threats from Afghanistan. General Milley, Joint Chief, he advises the President, National Security Council, and other U.S. government entities on military matters. Well, according to the Wall Street Journal, our National Security Advisor, requested General Milley clarify whether Mr. Putin was simply making a debating point or if he was hinting of a serious offer. That general was noncommittal during a meeting in Helsinki about that. A Kremlin spokesman declined to comment. So Joe Biden met in person with Vladimir Putin June 16th in Geneva, Switzerland. It was called the Bilateral Summit. Putin offered Biden the use of Russian military bases in Central Asia for information gathering from Afghanistan during that meeting. And Russia put that news out there, not the U.S. Russia did in a a, uh, newspaper article July 17th. Putin proposed Moscow and Washington, quote, coordinate on Afghanistan and put Russia's bases in Tajikistan and Krakidstan, I can't even pronounce it, put those to use. The Russian newspaper said the proposal could involve the exchange of information that was obtained using drones, but there had been no concrete response from the U.S. side. This arrangement would involve U.S. forces using Russian military bases in those two countries, for pre-coordinated operations in Afghanistan. Another area for cooperation, the exchange of intelligence, including data collected by those drones. Now, this was all told to the Russians by our folks who accompanied the president to that bilateral summit meeting in Switzerland with Putin. So let me ask you this. If you were going to name the top two Potential enemies of the United States on the globe. China would obviously be number one in most people's books. Some some of these hard leftists, they love China. Joe Biden has basically laid down and given China, given Xi Jinping, everything they've asked for so far, including a bunch of money, a bunch of money, a bunch of opportunities, with no explanations for doing it. Gave them a pass on the Wuhan lab source, for the COVID-19 transmission around the globe. But then number two on most people's list would be Russia, Vladimir Putin. And I'm not sure that in that Helsinki meeting, if that was something that was solicited on the part of the president and his administration folks that were there, or if it was just something Vlad threw out on the table, I highly doubt that that is what was going on. I don't think Vladimir Putin would volunteer to do anything for the American people. Period. He hates America. At least so far, we have kind of a wall between us which he doesn't have the ability to peek over on the other side and understand what would happen if he did some more of the shenanigans that he's done in the past in Europe. But that's a story for another day. Somehow, this came up in conversation. That's bad enough. But our joint chiefs, reaches out to Russia to find out if that was an opening. Could we still go down that road and be partners over there? Yeah, we'll provide all the equipment, the drones and everything, and we'll monitor them, but we'll give you all the information too. While at the same time, just north of there, southern Russia, we know what the Russians have done to countries that border theirs. They just go in and take them over. We also know that Afghanistan had a pretty rough time for the Russians, probably along the same lines they did for us, maybe even worse. Russia was in Afghanistan for a decade themselves, so they know how bad it is, how tough it is to be successful militarily there, and there is no diplomacy that you're going to be able to work with because there are so many factions that are involved in governing the the nation of Afghanistan and so many tribes I mean, there are like 60 different versions of the Taliban in Afghanistan. So I would imagine Vladimir Putin threw that out at that summit. He wanted to see if he could hook Joe Biden into agreeing, and you know who would carry the load in that relationship. It would be us. It would be our equipment, our people. We'd pay for everything. And you can bet there'd be a whole lot more involved that we would have to do to make that happen. And then they would have total access to all of our intelligence. Here's an old saying. Keep your friends close, keep your enemies closer. Vladimir Putin came out of the old KGB, the Russian, I mean, they were worse than Nazis. They were worse... Um, I mean, they were incredibly evil. I don't believe Vladimir Putin would throw anything out on the table unless there had to be a massive quid pro quo that leaned far, far, far in his direction, especially with Joe Biden. And to move on, this final thought about that, What do you think the quid pro quo in that conversation probably was? Let me just throw a hypothesis out there for you. I don't know how many years it's been since the United States purchased oil from Russia. Russia is a major oil producer. Most people don't even realize that. World markets don't like them being in the markets because they're Russia. And of course, OPEC the OPEC wants to dominate the global oil markets, which they pretty much are now, with the exception of us on a lesser scale and Russia. Did you know Trump never bought a drop of oil from Russia. Do you know we're averaging eight million barrels a month now buying? We are from Russia when in October of last year we didn't buy off from anybody. We produced enough on our own so that we didn't have to. Hmm. Makes you want to go. Hmm. So as a wrap up to all this stuff, Millie looked bad. Austin looked bad. McKenzie looked bad yesterday. McKenzie looked better than the other two. So Biden looked really, really bad because his generals dropped him in the dirt. Basically said he lied when he said that he was not told by any of them or anybody else that we needed to keep a small force in Afghanistan. And if we did, we could continue to maintain that, uh, that atmosphere of let's just get along that we had where no American died over the previous 18 months in Afghanistan. So when all this bad news came out yesterday, guess what happened? Of course, several reporters jumped to his defense after this suggestion was the president lied. Despite being contradicted by his top generals, these reporters appeared to defend Biden's remark when he said in that interview, no, no one said that to me about the 2,500 troops remaining in Afghanistan. Washington Post fact checker Glenn Kessler suggested Biden was imprecise and was talking about whether leaving 2,500 troops in Afghanistan would have maintained stability in the country. Now, how in the heck would a reporter be able to draw that out of that one sentence? No, this is Biden. No, no one said that to me that I can recall. And from that one sentence, Glenn Kessler, who's a fact checker, suggested that Biden was imprecise and was talking about whether leaving 2,500 troops in Afghanistan would have maintained stability. Here's the rest of his answer that was snipped from this RNC clip. Presumably because it suggests he was answering a question about whether advisors said the situation would stay stable with 2,500 troops. This is Kessler. He tweeted this. Biden's answers are imprecise, and it's not clear exactly what he's referencing. He could be answering the 2,500 troop question, People should watch the full clip and judge for themselves. In other words, this is looking back at the Bill Clinton days, at the impeachment days. Remember this? When Clinton was under oath, he was testifying before this impeachment committee. You remember the big thing about, well, it depends upon the definition of yes, The definition of no. Jennifer Rubin, Washington Post columnist, responded to New York Times reporter Peter Baker's tweet highlighting the Biden administration's contradiction. Georgia's complete uh, question was this. Your military advisors did not tell you, no, we should just keep 2,500 troops. It's been a stable situation for the last several years. It's the last sentence that was false, and generals likely never said to Biden, she wrote. A couple of other journalists attempted to divert attention away from Biden being contradicted by his generals by referencing former President Trump and his original plan to withdraw troops from Afghanistan. Contradicting Trump and supporters who say he'd have done differently or better, Millie confirms. He received an order in 2020 to withdraw all U.S. forces from Afghanistan by January of 2021. That comes from CNN anchor Jim Scuto. Huffington Post White House correspondent Date also defended Biden, tweet, tweeting this, Trump really and truly wanted to leave Biden with the complete catastrophe in Afghanistan, and he would evacuated exactly zero Afghan allies. It's amazing how this mainstream media crew, they're out there for one purpose and one purpose only. They're out there to cover for this administration, to try as hard as they can and as difficult as it is, they're still trying to cover for this president and all of the ineptness that plays itself out on the national, international stage almost daily. Folks, this guy's a disaster and Not so much on a personal level. I don't know the president personally. Never met him. So I can't judge anything about him. But what I'm saying is the perception that he gives to everybody around the world. We played what our Sky News folks down in Australia think about it for you. It's scary. This guy is number one, atop the heap of the number one nation on earth and we're in trouble undeniably the go-to source for nonpartisan spin-free news from the world real truth real news tnn
2: the truth news network
1: meet phil sklar co-founder
6: of the national bobblehead hall of fame and museum our dream is to make milwaukee wisconsin the bobblehead capital of the world
1: at american family insurance we believe your dreams are the most valuable things you will ever own so today, we're supporting Phil's dream.
6: If people would like to be a part of the bobblehead dream, we take donations in money or bobbleheads.
3: Every dream deserves a champion. Find yours at amfam.com.
2: American Family Insurance. American Family Mutual Insurance Company and its affiliates. 6,000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin, 53783.
5: Nowadays, it's more important than ever to know the value of a dollar, or three, or four, or five, or even six. New Dunkin' Go-Tos, now with brews. Tasty breakfast combos that give you more bang for your bucks. Get a wake-up wrap with sausage and a medium-hot coffee for three dollars a bagel with cream cheese spread and a medium hot coffee for four dollars a bacon egg and cheese croissant with a medium hot coffee for five dollars or a power breakfast sandwich and you guessed it a medium hot coffee for six dollars dunkin go-to's now with brews america runs on dunkin participation may vary exclusions apply limited time offer
4: whether holding down the fort or bouncing back to school childhood is always in session so keep feeding us right with sun-made snacks just like when you were a kid Remember their naturally sweet raisins? Yup, still delicious. And so some Sun other snacks, like creamy yogurt-covered raisins, sour raisin snacks that taste like sour candy with no added sugar, and Sunmade's new s'mores and birthday cake bites. All delicious, all made with whole fruit. Sun made snacks.
0: In that moment of wonderment, trying to figure out what our neighbors around the world think about this president, the British have finally, the British media, they have begun to question our president's election legitimacy. So this comes from the Sunday Times in the UK. It starts with this. So Trump was right. Hmm. Talking about the Arizona election. This begins a broadside in the Sunday Times. It amounts to a clarion call for everybody around the world. America's president came to power in an election that was rigged. Now, whether or not you want to believe it was rigged, whether or not you want to believe the results were accurate and they depict what the Americans wanted to serve in government and who, whether or not you believe it, This is what a lot of people around the world, especially people in government, among the governments in our allies, they're beginning to question that Joe Biden was even legally duly elected as president. The story says the American public is slowly awakening to the fact that they are being led by an ineffectually devious, senile halfwit. That's from Rob Little. Donald Trump is back in the lead in the opinion polls. Imagine how awful a president must be if people would rather sack, rather that sack of meat with mittens were back in charge. They're talking about Trump. I don't know where they came up with that. Trump is a sack of meat with mittens. And it continued, soon the public will wake up to something even more unpleasant and sinister, that the last presidential election was a fraud rigged by big business, labor unions, and more than anything, the media and the tech companies. If that election had taken place in any other country, it would have been called unfree. And as more and more evidence emerges, it terrifies me that the same thing could happen here. He's talking about in the UK. The secret history of the shadow campaign that saved the 2020 election, which is a bombshell Time article released just days before the Senate impeachment trial, appears to have provided some of the best evidence that the election was, quote-unquote, fortified by a shadowy cabal that included giant corporations, big tech giants, and powerful labor unions. What we didn't know until we were told in February of this year, courtesy of Time magazine, was that there actually was a conspiracy. A secret coalition of chief executives, labor unions, left-wing pressure groups and media companies to manage what information was available to the voting public. Its aim, as the Wall Street Journal put it, was to suppress unwanted elements of U.S. political conversation. What a wonderful phrase. Now, this is a Brit talking to you and me, telling a story about the perception across the pond about our government. Time Magazine reported this as if the cabal, it called an arrangement a cabal, had been acting heroically to save the U.S. public from making the same mistake again and elect, electing that Brobdingogen boor, talking about Trump, and to do so by suppressing stories favorable to him. The Times writer also referenced a disturbing betrayal by Trump's Joint Chief of Staff at the time that should be sending off alarm bells from CETA's shining sea. Now we discover that General Mark Milley, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs, was also conspiring against the president. That's from Little, the writer. Twice Milley called Chinese diplomats to let them know he would countermand any order from Trump to attack China, which seems to be a lot of U.S. conservatives to be an act of pure treason. Milley also went back behind his president's back to connive with the Democrat leader of the House, Nancy Pelosi. The reasoning for this was that Trump was quote-unquote unhinged a familiar notion peddled by the media for the four years of his presidency. Was he? I don't know. He didn't seem terribly hinged to me, but then Americans rarely do. But more unhinged than your average American or Joe Biden. (laughs) Whatever the case, that election one year ago was plainly rigged, Little argues not by fraudulent postal votes, but by an affluent elite conspiring brutally at times to ensure that the American public heard only one side of every story. The last part is arguable, particularly in light of evidence that has arisen from the Georgia and the Arizona audits. Regardless, the author concludes his argument by noting that liberals appear to be oblivious to this insidious threat to democracy— Posted by giant corporations, unions, and big tech colluding to oppose candidates that threaten their strangled hold on power. Little said, what worries me most is that so few liberal commentators seem capable of understanding that this was a grotesque manipulation of democracy. And yet surely they must see it, no matter how appalling Trump seemed to them, and indeed quite often to me, Little said. Instead, those very acts that subverted democracy are depicted as valorous. The author of that article in Times said the conspirators weren't rigging the election, they were fortifying it. Wow, isn't that a little chilling? And are you looking forward to a fortified general election over here in the UK? Indeed, he concluded. The way of all Western civilization is heading, rigged elections may soon become the norm. Americans and their brethren and once free nations around the world may someday look back at the Halakon days when they were able to pick their own leaders as nothing more than a distant memory in an eclipsed golden age. Grandfathers, grandchildren astride their knees will explain to them about why they did nothing. Why they did nothing. Now, this whole mess in D.C. yesterday, it really came to a head. And it was Senator Marsha Blackburn again that was in the bullseye of what was happening. Yesterday, folks, after all this, she outwardly just came forward and called on the resignation of Joe Biden. I won't share my personal recommendation to the president, but I will give you my honest opinion, and my honest opinion and view shaped my recommendation. This is General McKenzie. He was, he is the commander of CENTCOM, Central Command over there. I recommended that we main 2,500 troops. Milley told lawmakers that he did the same thing. So the testimony of those two raised questions as to whether Biden lied in that ABC report that you just heard a little bit of. Biden lied when he told Stephanopoulos no one advised him against his timeline based withdrawal. His, reckless res- his recklessness resulted in the deaths of 13 U.S. service members, abandonment of countless citizens and allies. Biden can't avoid the consequences of his actions. He must resign. That's Senator Marcia Blackburn after all that mess played out yesterday. Can you come up with any other suggestion? Can you wrap this thing up in any kind of ribbon or package that looks good? Do you really think we have a leader in the White House? A real leader? Is this who you want to lead us into a real conflict? Should anything happen and we come to blows against the likes of Russia or China or even North Korea? Oh, and that one question. Nobody's asked this publicly so far. They did every day about Donald Trump when he was president. Do you trust Joe Biden with the nuclear football? And having sole access and use of the nuclear button? Think about that. If, if, if you haven't had your oatmeal yet, you may want to wait a bit because you may get a little nauseated processing that question. And then hiding in the shadows. Pretty much everybody I know even brings this up. I can't tell you how many of the last three or four weeks that I've gotten texts and emails from that say, who's running this government? It certainly isn't our president. And so even if he is the one that's doing all of this, that's initiating all of this insanity, that should trouble you even more. But then not being able to answer the question, who's running this government? Who's making all this... Decision after decision that's turning everything in the nation upside down and wants to do even more and just really tackle the nation at the knees and keep it on the ground not knowing who's doing it and by the way I don't care who is doing it they do not have authority to do it all of these decisions that are being made and most of them ending up on his desk in the form of executive orders to sign and bypass the Congress, none of them should be in place. None of that should stand. And i got to be honest with you, long term, I think executive orders need to go. I think Congress needs to pass a law against executive orders. I think in legislation, major bills, especially bills like spending bills, They need to be totally clean of everything but budget details and bills. No add-ins, no amendments, adding in anything that has nothing to do with the U.S. budget. It should be totally clean. This bill, similar to the $3.5 billion debacle that is being considered and the $1.2 trillion fake infrastructure bill, they should not contain one Element other than exactly what the title says. Instead, these legislators from everywhere, they start throwing little pieces in and paying off people with pieces of legislation that are part of a bill that we don't even know are in the bills. It happens every day in Washington, D.C. And then the other caveat that they use is called earmarks earmarks, which gives the president authority when a bill has been passed and it comes to his desk to be signed into law, he can add things. That all needs to go. We need all of these people to be doing what they're telling us they're doing and nothing more when it comes to passing laws. Just by two cents. Well, in the wake of all of this stuff this week, I bet you didn't know that COVID-19 still out there and it's still in business. Wow. Let me give you the latest debacle. You hear about all these universities that they're demanding every student be vaccinated. I mean, I read a story yesterday where one university kicked out 360 students that were enrolled refused to get or produce proof of vaccination, and they said, you can't come. They just kicked them out. I've never heard about, it's happened in several cases. We've talked about several of them here. I've never heard about anybody getting a full refund when these universities kick them out. That's a story for another day. I'll see if I can find the facts on that. But guess what came out overnight? Harvard, Harvard University, their business school specifically, they're shutting down. They're shutting down in-person classes this semester. Why? Well, it's not because of vaccination, proof of vaccination problems. Their student percentage of vaccinations at Harvard Business School is 96%. Pretty good percentage, right? They're shutting down because of breakthrough cases of COVID. We're talking about vaccinated students. Hundreds of vaccinated students are getting tested positive for COVID. Here's what they said. With the support of Harvard University leaders, advised by city and state public health officials, we've decided to move all first-year MBA students and some in the second year to remote learning. Hmm. Contact tracers who have worked with positive cases highlight the transmission is not occurring in classrooms or other academic settings on campus, nor is it occurring among individuals who are masked. I don't know why I would even say that. The annual cost to go to Harvard Business School is a little bitty number, $73,440. Students are going to have to now fork over their high-priced education dollars for learning online. You can do that for a whole lot less money online, folks. 96% of Harvard University's employees are vaccinated. 95% of its students are vaccinated. Harvard is requiring vaxxes against COVID-19 for all of its community members, including students, faculty, staff, and researchers. There were 62 positive cases in among graduate students, three in its undergraduate population this past week. Harvard is shutting down despite that 96% student vaccination rate. And it comes at a time when Joe Biden has set a target for returning America to normal at a 97 to 98% vaccine rate. You know what they left out of the story when they reported this? This just grabbed my eye when I, when I read this. What I do here, folks, here's the way the mechanism works. Almost simultaneously, when I get off the air every day, I start scanning the news to see what came out while we were on the air. I mean, usually. I mean, come on, folks. Two hours in the middle of a day in the middle of a week? That gives people in Washington, D.C., a lot of time to do some really crazy and strange things. So we began watching and throughout each day and in the nighttime, and every morning, I do a 6 o'clock prayer meeting off-site, not here at the studio. And um, by 7 o'clock, I'm back, and I start the same thing. What happened overnight? You do know that the rest of the world to the east of us is open before us every day, and there's a lot of stuff that happens before we wake up. I want to make sure when you tune in here at 9 o'clock, you know what's going on. And so when I see these things, you got to remember, we're seeing news happenings in most every case, unless it's a live report from an on-site travesty happening somewhere. We're seeing things that are in our history. They're behind us. They're in our rearview mirror. And we want to make sure we grab the most important ones of those, but we're constantly watching to see what's ahead. Nobody reported on this Harvard thing about where... What was the source of these breakthrough infections? That one statement was made that I gave to you at the hop. I couldn't understand this guy actually said it. Quote, contact tracers who have worked with positive cases highlight that transmission is not occurring in classrooms or other academic settings on campus. Nor is it occurring among individuals who are masked. There was no reference at all to the source or the sources. So what are you saying, Dan? As we told you, Dr. Mercola, who you see published articles here from him, not frequently, but every once in a while, Dr. Mercola and several other physicians that you know, a couple of them that you've heard here live on TNN Live, have said this sentence. I got it from three different ones of them. I don't have any facts, so we haven't reported it yet. But again, we promise you, if something's out there that we're investigating, looking for confirmation before we bring you the full details, this is one of those things. There is, according to these doctors, there is credible evidence that the Delta variant is actually vaccinated. The variant itself is actually part of the COVID-19 vaccinations that are on the market. No details yet. They too felt like. This news out there, and it's coming from credible sources that are working on lab laboratory controlled confirmation. They have said it is likely that that is the case. That's going to change a lot of things if that happens to be true, won't it? Meanwhile, around the nation, I, I got to be honest with you. I think the people in healthcare. They're really the ones that are in the bullseye of all of this insanity coming out of the Biden administration. Thousands of nurses and other healthcare workers across the state of New York. As of yesterday, they lost their jobs. Or they've been suspended because they refused to get a COVID-19 vaccination. The mandate came down from the governor has led to staffing shortages across the state. Although Some of the large hospital systems have said they're maintaining continuity of services. Now, let me tell you how they do that. Our son Caleb is in management at a large hospital in the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex. And the way they do it, and the way every hospital in the United States must do it, is they can only have a certain ratio of registered nurses on, on staff, on the floor, working in any given day. There's a ratio of nurses to patients. And so what happens is when, like we just said in this story, what's going on in New York led to staffing shortages, although some of the large hospital systems in the state have said they're maintaining Continuity of services. What that means is they're closing down rooms. They're closing down beds. There are state laws and federal laws. If uh, you're a hospital and you treat Medicare patients or Medicaid patients, as an example, there's that ratio of percentages, healthcare workers to patients, that has to be at a minimum maintained. So when you can't maintain it with the people that are there working, you don't have enough. You have to close beds. That's the way they're doing it. But these hospitals don't want to talk about it. And the news media don't want to talk about it. Why? Because it makes it look like COVID-19 numbers are worse than they really are. That's a story for another day. As of the 27th, two days ago, 92% of hospital employees in New York have received at least one dose of the vaccine. That's coming from the governor's office. That would leave tens of thousands of hospital workers slated... For termination though some health care providers indicated they're giving their employees some more time to get vaccinated and come back to work strong memorial hospital in rochester new york it's upstate they announced a two-week pause to some elective procedures patients can expect longer wait times for routine appointments some employees will be asked to take on new responsibilities and temporary bed closures are possible In Buffalo Erie County Medical Center suspended elective inpatient surgeries has stopped accepting, accepting intensive care patients from other hospitals they're preparing to fire hundreds of unvaxed employees Northwell Health the state's largest healthcare employer two dozen hospitals 74,000 staff They indicated not all unvaccinated employees were given the immediate boot. The company notified all unvaccinated team members that they are no longer in compliance with New York State's mandate. We have begun a process to exit all unvaxxed team members using a carefully planned approach that both maintains continuity of care at all of our facilities and ensures the safety of all of our patients. More than 91% of staff members at NYC Health Plus Hospitals, that's the New York City-run safety net hospital system, 91% are vaxxed. That still leaves more than 3,000 unvaxxed individuals who have been put on unpaid leave. They're yet free to return to work if they change their minds on the vaccination. To me, this just sounds a whole lot like blackmail. Blackmail. This goes into the vaccine, mandatory vaccines. We have maintained here at Truth News Network, from talking to all the healthcare professionals that we interface with every day, that this government wants mandatory vaccines for everybody. Mandatory vaccines for everybody. That is in the offing, and don't think for a second that's not a possibility. I think it is happening. I think it's been happening. I think that's the bottom line. I think somebody needs to, besides me, somebody needs to look at the landscape of what's going on and say, in the big picture, what could the possible end results be that could be achieved if there really is a push towards mandatory vaccines and don't say, oh, they just want everybody to have them. It's no different than the vaccines we all took when we were kids. They want to make sure that we don't get communicable diseases and we don't spread them around. It's nothing like that at all. I mean, look at the flu vaccine. It works probably 50% of the time at that. We don't have the accurate numbers on COVID-19. There are accurate numbers and you can book it that our government knows what they are. Forget about Fauci. We're going to tell you what his latest thing is in just a little bit, our second uh, second half hour in the, to this hour. Yeah, we've already gone through an hour and a half. But um, there's purpose back there. We just don't know what it is. So with all of this stuff happening, let's just wrap a bow around everything we've talked about so far. All of it happening. Senator John Kennedy, my buddy here from Louisiana, he is, um, He's the Mark Twain of this generation. Yesterday, he kind of put it in context, and I love what he said.
6: I rise in support of uh, Senator McConnell's legislation. Um, on August 27th, 2020, just 13 months ago, Hurricane Laura hit Louisiana. Forty-five days later, Hurricane Delta hit Louisiana. Nineteen days after that, Hurricane Zeta hit Louisiana. We got a little bit of a break four months. After that, we were part of the historic winter storm, about which we've all read. And then three months after that, we had an historic rainfall event in Louisiana, uh, up to 12 inches, unrelated to a hurricane. Three months after that, Hurricane Ida hit Louisiana, and two weeks later, Hurricane Nicholas hit Louisiana. Every one of these storms was over 100 miles per hour sustained winds. The wind for Hurricane Ida was clocked at it, as it, at its highest. At 185 miles per hour. If you add up all of the damages, Madam President, it's about $150 billion in 13 months. Now, other states were impacted by these storms, but Louisiana took it full in the face. This was uh, as brutal a blow as nature has inflicted on an American state in modern history. We will be coughing up bones for years. And this legislation is going to help us recover. In fact, this legislation does every single thing that my colleague Senator Cassidy and Senator McConnell talked about that my Democratic friends want to do. Everything. Keeps government open, maintains flood insurance, gives disaster relief, not just to Louisiana, but to my friends in the northeast part of our country, to to my friends on the west coast. It does help my state, southwest, southeast, north Louisiana, but we're not the only ones. Um, This Senator McConnell's legislation does everything except one thing. One thing. Increasing the debt ceiling that Senator Schumer can do in a matter of days on his own. Why are we fighting over this? You know, nature abhors a moron. It is moronic for us to be having this fight when it can be so easily solved. Everything in Senator McConnell's legislation can easily pass this body with 70 votes, and we know it. And then Senator Schumer can come right behind by simply amending the budget resolution, and our problems are solved. Nature abhors a moron. Let's don't be moronic.
0: (laughs) Does he have a knack of getting right to the point regarding important issues. I wanted you to hear that. It doesn't have anything to do with the uh, the two particular bills. Debt limit, a big deal. Disaster relief, a really big deal. I mean, there are millions of hurting people that are still struggling. Lake Charles, Louisiana, folks, they got two hurricanes in less than a year that just totally obliterated. Lake Charles, Louisiana, I'm, I'm from 70 miles from there. I've been to Lake Charles, around it, through it my entire life pretty decent, good-sized city. It's gone. It's obliterated. Yes, there are businesses there, and there are people that still live there, but much of the infrastructure... You remember the conversations about the horrors that happen to the electrical grid when a hurricane comes through? Let me tell you what the biggest thing is. Those electrical stations, you know, the ones you see fenced off, and they have all this uh, tall electronic equipment, these big round things that you've, you obviously know they're either transmitting electricity or they're creating electricity. You see those things. They don't make those and put them on a shelf. Those are custom made to spit uh, to fit specific needs when the need comes up, like a hurricane. Three or four of those around Lake Charles were just obliterated by each of these two hurricanes. And so what has to happen, somebody's got to go make the replacements. So a huge segment of Lake Charles went for months with no electricity. How do you live? How do you work? How do you have a business? How do you have a home without electricity? That's just a couple of examples. But what I wanted to point out is what Senator Kennedy zeroed in on, especially there at the end. All of the stuff that he talked about, we've got to do something about our debt limit or we're going to default on our debt this week, actually. And if we don't, there will be a default. We can't let that happen. There's never been a default by the U.S. government, never before. We don't know everything bad that would happen, but it would be bad. That's number one. And the number two would be to just ignore all of these millions of Americans, not just Louisiana, but as he said, the West Coast and up in the Northeast where they got their own hurricane. And they had horrible, tragic floods and losses of all kinds of infrastructure. Same things happen everywhere. As he said, in like just a few days, the U.S. Senate could resolve all of that. Chuck Schumer could. But instead, let's play politics. Let's demand all kinds of quid pro quo. If we do this for you, what are you going to do for us? That's exactly what's going on. But folks, we shouldn't be shocked at any of it because that's what politics is about, especially in this nation. If you want something, you got to give me something either before I give you what you want or certainly down the road. And typically, what you have to pay is more than it's worth whatever it is but you're willing to do it because the others have the power to do for you what you expect them to do and what you need for them to do nature abhors morons I guess basically right now nature's not really really high on Joe Biden or anybody in this government, or a whole bunch of people that serve in the U.S. Congress. Do you think? Hello,
3: hello, sir. I hear you having problems putting together your new kitchen unit. Oh yeah, uh, the instructions say. The the what th- now? The instruction manual. It makes absolutely. Stop reading that.
1: What would you suggest I use? I
3: suggest you use the fact you're a man. Guys who got pride never relied on no guide, sucker. I'll give you some step-by-step
5: instructions. (laughs) Buy Snickers, remove wrapper, bite chocolate, and get some nuts. Go to getsomenuts.tv for more Snickers man coaching. Out for some lays and you face a test. Which tasty chip will be the best?
0: sour cream salt and vinegar too you sample them all cause the
5: crisp is so good on your lips yeah
0: you left your wallet at home but now you have a new best friend the many flavors of Lay's chips one taste and you're in love
2: the world tells you to wait that waiting is polite and good things will just come But if I waited to be invited in, I never would have stood out. If I waited for change to happen, I never would have made a difference. So make the first move. Don't wait to be told your place, take it. Don't wait for people to find you, find them. In work. In love. In life. And most of all, don't wait to be given power, because here's what they won't tell you. We already have it. Ah. it
0: As much a part of your day as pants. Dan Newman, TNN. I hope you got your pants on. (laughs) I'm glad, and you should be too, that this isn't television. This is uh, streaming radio uh, because we don't see each other. And I'm not denigrating you in any way. I'm just saying I think I have the perfect face for radio. Just saying, folks, and I don't know about you. So our CDC, they're hard at it out there working for us every day, keeping us safe from the COVID gods and that evil COVID-19 thing. Well, guess what they did this week? I told you this. We did an update last week on Norway. Norway announced to the world they're ending all of the restrictions on its citizens from top to bottom on COVID-19. Why? Because their citizens have voluntarily handled it and done a really good job. So, as you know, rather than look at what they did and how they did it that worked so well, our government says we're going to double down. So, the CDC listed Monday of this week, Norway As a country with a very high risk of travel, in other words, Americans, if you're planning on going to Norway, maybe you you should rethink it. Why? Because of what they did. The CDC now designates Norway level four. COVID-19, very high. Avoid travel to Norway. That's on the CDC's website. If you must travel to Norway, make sure you are fully vaccinated before travel. It has been 561 days since we introduced the toughest measures in Norway in peacetime. That was a statement put out by outgoing Norwegian Prime Minister Solberg September 24th, five days ago. Now the time has come to return to a a normal daily life. He noted later that Norwegian health experts supported that decision. We shall not have strict COVID-19 measures unless they are professionally justified. People must be allowed to live as they wish. Her remark came as one of Norway's top health officials compared COVID-19... Listen to this. Norway now, not the UK. Norway compared COVID-19 to the flu and said that the country will not classify the virus as a dangerous illness in the near future said this quote we are now in a new phase where we must look at the coronavirus as one of several respiratory diseases with seasonal variation this is because the vast majority of those at risk are protected he said so Norway won't mandate businesses to implement social distancing measures anymore, and it will similarly allow certain venues and restaurants to operate at full capacity. We've lived a long time with strict measures at the border, the Prime Minister said. This has been important in combating imported infections. Think about that. Compare it to the U.S. Think about it. Strict measures at the borders of Norway. Hmm certainly not like our measures at the border. He continued, When we now move on to a normal everyday life, the government proposes a gradual reduction of the restrictions on entry into our country. This is going to take place under close supervision. Earlier this month, you probably didn't know this, but Sweden, which is really next door to Norway, they made a similar announcement, saying that on today, September 29th, Restrictions on theaters, restaurants, stadiums, and related venues are gone. They lifted them all today. So Norway and Sweden are leading the cause to give their citizens back, guess what? Freedom and justice for all. (laughs) Instead of clamping down and telling you when you can sneeze and where you can sneeze And what you got to do if you sneeze, this is insane here in the United States, folks. It's insane. Now, what about that southern border thing? Well, one whistleblower popped up over the weekend. And this whistleblower, unidentified so far, has alleged that the Biden administration ordered Border Patrol agents to get vaccinated by November or face termination. Now, tell me this does not fly in the face of facts down there. Think about that. You're a Border Patrol agent. You can't work with people. You're going to give everybody COVID. You're going to get COVID. You've got to be vaccinated. So how many illegal aliens came in last month? A couple hundred thousand. How many of those faced any kind of vaccination push 0 How many of the 12,000 illegals that were admitted by Homeland Security Mayorkas this week? How many of those 12,000 were vaccinated? How many of them were tested for COVID? None. 0 So, in the shadow of all of that, DHS chief Alejandro Mayorkas got a letter this week from Representative Jim Jordan out of Ohio. He happens to be the ranking member on the House Judiciary Committee. And it was co-signed, the letter was, by Representative Tom McClintock, who's a Republican from California. And they asked in the letter the question that you and I are asking right now. Why are agents at the border being ordered now to get vaccinated or face termination during this difficult crisis? And it is a crisis we're in. The letter said, quote, while our border is facing this serious crisis, we've learned that you're threatening to terminate a significant portion of Customs and Border Protection workforce. On September 9th, President Biden issued Executive Order 14043 requiring federal employees to fully vax against COVID or face termination of their employment. For years and through multiple administrations, it's been difficult to recruit and retain men and women to serve in the Border Patrol. The locations of the job are typically remote. The job is often dangerous and always very hard. Their job is made even harder when senior officials, including VP Kamala Harris, spread false accusations of cruelty. And of course, that was referencing this hoo-ha at the border, over the Border Patrol agents on horseback. First of all, I've been very clear about the images that you and I both saw of those law enforcement officials' own horses. This is Kamala Harris speaking. I was outraged by it. It was horrible, deeply troubling. There's been, now, an investigation that has been conducted, which I fully support, and there needs to be consequences and accountability. Human beings should not be treated that way. And as we all know, it also evoked images of some of the worst moments of our history where that kind of behavior has been used against the indigenous people in our country. Oh, by the way, the the photographer who captured those pictures said, I didn't see a single rain hit a single refugee, not one. It was so obviously a um, strictly partisan political hit piece that spread across the nation like wildfire. Mainstream media went nuts with it. Even the New York Times retracted their story stating, stating that it happened. Monday, they retracted it, and they did it as they do. They didn't say, it was wrong. They said, we're revising the story because we received some unconfirmed information. And then Fauci. Where the heck has Fauci been? Have you seen or heard from him of late? I haven't. And that's a good thing. I I think he should be banned from television Uh, just simply because so much of what he gives us on TV is not factual. Well, he popped up yesterday. Wow. Wow. And he brought a new fact to the COVID landscape in the United States. Believe me, he's not going anywhere near the road that Norway and Sweden have gone down this week and a couple of weeks ago in the case of Sweden, giving their people freedom back. Here's what he said. Practically everybody will be directed in the future to get a booster dose of COVID-19 vaccine. Ultimately, he said... I believe that the optimal regimen for the vaccine for the mRNAs is going to include a third booster shot. Three doses will become the proper, complete regimen. Well, the two most widely used of the COVID-19 vaccines, Pfizer and Moderna, they're the ones that use messenger RNA, COVID-19, Pfizer, and Moderna. The vaccines were originally recommended in a two-dose regimen, but Biden administration officials recently allowed and have recommended third shots for multiple population groups, including the folks over 65 or older. So why is that? Well, they're wearing off. Their their efficacy is dwindling. When they both came out, they were in the mid-90s with their efficacy, and it slid all the way down in some cases to in the 50 percent efficacy. now what does that mean well that means what's in them ain't working it wears off and that kind of goes along with the fact that a doctor that we had here you remember dr judy Mikovits, in may last year she was on the air before we really knew much about what was going on with COVID and how it was going to be handled she basically said from the very beginning, and she knows Anthony Fauci very, very well. They work side by side for years. In fact, she went dark, got kicked out of her position at uh, the uh, CDC, the NIH, by Dr. Fauci. She went through a 10-year period. She had to prevent being uh, taken on with absolutely no evidence or federal charges She was told if she said a word about anything about what was going on, then for 10 years she would be thrown in jail. We were the first source she came to when that gag order expired, and she told us almost word for word everything that has happened over the last 15, 16 months about COVID-19 and everything that has been said and done by Dr. Anthony Fauci. She predicted it all. In fact, she said she was confident that one of the objectives of those who created this mRNA technology and using it in these vaccines that, according to her, are not really vaccines. They're an experimental drug of some sort. And she gave the full explanation for it. Um, That's a story for another day. But she said the ultimate goal would be to get people dependent upon boosters going forward for the rest of their lives. So COVID, Anthony Fauci, he's the one that first came up with the, well, there's got to be two doses, and then a third. What's next? What's coming down the pike? What's going to happen there? But in the meantime, from the top down, corporations, first of all, our government, then the corporations, major corporations, corporations, They're weighing in to their employees. More and more employees in these big corporations, more and more people in the United States are saying, I'm not going to get vaccinated. My body, my choice, that doesn't work here, folks. It works only for the abortion, folks, right? Well, United Airlines, they're about to terminate almost 600 of their employees who have chosen not to comply with the company's vaccine mandate. And the company confirmed this. They were the first U.S. carrier to mandate vaccines for all domestic employees. They announced it in August. Employees were required to be vaxxed by two days ago, the 27th, otherwise they would be terminated by October 2. Those who refused the vaccine would be terminated immediately. So yesterday in a memo, United Airlines Chief Executive Scott Kirby and President Brett Hart said the company would start the process of firing the employees that refused the vax. The executives told staff that more than 99% of domestic employees chose to get vaxed, excluding those who submitted for an accommodation. For the less than 1% of people who decided to not get vaccinated, will unfortunately begin the process of separation from the airline per our policy. This is in the memo from yesterday. This was an incredibly difficult decision but keeping our team safe has always been priority number one. The pandemic is now killing more than 2,000 people per day, which is not true, by the way. A 65% increase in just the past 30 days. The most effective way to keep our people safe is to make sure they're vaccinated. In the memo, they noted that those applying for a medical or religious, religious exemption have had the deadline for implementing the accommodations extended due to a pending court case. In fact, folks, i got to be honest with you, that one case that's going on right now, it's going to end up at the U.S. Supreme Court. And I hope it does. We'll get this resolved one way or the other. United Airlines officials said people who applied for those exemptions, religious and medical reasons, that's less than 3% of the company's workforce. 67,000 people work at United. And by the way, last week, six United Airline employees filed a class-action lawsuit against the airline, with attorneys arguing the company's handling of its vaccine mandates violates the 1964 Civil Rights Act. So, it's a good thing, in my opinion, that uh, these employees aren't taking this lying down. Hey, you remember Louis Gohmert? You remember him? He's a member of the House of Representatives. Um, before the, let's see, I guess before the um, the 2020 election, he was front and center in a lot of things. He got COVID. He had a bad case of it. And uh, at one point, he was a rising star in the Republican Party. But he kind of disappeared from... The camera. I don't know why. He's from. He's from probably 50 miles from here. He represents a northeast Texas um, congressional district there. And we've reached out to him several times, and he and I have missed each other in return calls. We're going to get together. I want to have him on. In fact, I'd like to have him on for an entire show because he has been in Congress for a long, long time. He's seen the good. He's seen the bad. I don't know how much he would be willing to tell us live on air, but I'm sure he could shed a lot of light on a lot of things. Anyway, he's part of a group of Republican lawmakers that threw their support behind doctors who are advocating for the right to try that drug, ivermectin. Ivermectin is the latest drug that's caught in a controversy, kind of like the hydroxychloroquine did a year or so ago. And it surged, the demand for it surged last month. Physicians and pharmacist groups, including the American Medical Association, strongly opposed the prescribing of ivermectin to treat COVID patients. Federal health agencies also issued warnings of their own to prevent the use of the drug, stating the adverse effects associated with ivermectin misuse and overdose are increasing. So let me tell you why they're increasing. The prescribed ivermectin prescribed for people from doctors, there are zero adverse effects associated with them. None. The drug has been out for years. In fact, in 2015, the people that invented it came up with it, won the Nobel Prize for medicine. That's how tested and true in the marketplace it's been. The ones that are having adverse reactions are those that are on their own using the versions and the types of ivermectin that are on the market used in animals. And I know you know this, and I'm not trying to insult you, but the constitution of like horses and cattle and pigs, their constitution biologically is a little different than ours. The pharma, pharmacal version that's used for prescriptions here in the United States for humans, there are no adverse reactions. Quite the opposite is true. There's tremendous results from using it. Right here in my own city, there are several doctors that are or have been. I don't know if they still are to this day because of all this hoo-ha that's come up the last 30 days or so but they've been prescribing it to patients here with very effective results. If you're contemplating, do this. Talk to your own doctor. Don't go to one of the urgent care places. Let me tell you why. The protocol there is to treat only with the representative of the political perspective in healthcare today for treating COVID-19. And that perspective, you probably know for sure, does not include hydroxychloroquine, ivermectin, or some of the other more, I want to say, untraditional methods of treating the virus. So during the pandemic, a critical care physician, Pierre Cory, talks about administering ivermectin as a gift. Corey said, I know ivermectin works. I've been using it to treat patients for 10 months now. During the pandemic, Corey led intensive care units in several hotspots, including in the Big Apple. He's one of the founding members of those frontline COVID-19 Critical Care Alliance doctors, which strongly recommends the use of ivermectin in both the prevention and in the treatment of the virus. Corey briefed more than 20 members of the House Freedom Caucus, two days ago about the effects and the efficacy of the drug. During the briefing, Corey claimed that ivermectin has helped reduce COVID-19 deaths by 88% with early treatment and by about 75% in cases of hospitalization. That's based on data from Mexico City and another city, a province in Argentina, where a large number of patients were treated with ivermectin. Corey also said COVID cases significantly dropped in Pradesh, which was the first state in India to introduce large-scale use of ivermectin during the peak of the Delta surge in their country. So Senator Ron Johnson, Republican from Wisconsin, he joined the briefing. He criticized the efforts to quash access to the drug as treatment for covid Johnson has been a vocal advocate for COVID treatments beyond vaccines, including ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine. And Ron Johnson threw this out there. I thought this was typical. This is why I wanted to get to this part of the story. His reason that he threw out in this hearing was resistance by the healthcare industrial institution in the U.S., Resistance to the use of ivermectin has to do with money. The vaccine has been worth billions to these companies. Is that what's driving this? I would like to think it's not the case, but I think it is. Wow. What a day, folks. What a busy day. What about all the stuff that's going on in our nation right now? Some good. Much of it bad, but the thing is, most of the bad, probably more than half, we're not even talking about today. There is so much going on. It's buried if it makes this administration look bad, buried as long as possible, and only when there's no way to hide it anymore does it come out. We've got our eyes on it, folks. We're keeping you informed on everything that we are able to ferret out and bring to you here. We want everything to be better. We want to do our part. I want you to have a great Wednesday. Have a great one, folks. See you tomorrow morning, 9 o'clock, right here at TNN Live. Baby, I'ma want you.
2: Baby, I'ma need you. You're the only one I care enough to hurt about.
6: Maybe i am a crazy, but I just can't live without.
2: Your loving and affection Giving me direction Like a guiding light To help me through my darkest hour Lately I'm a praying That you'll always be a staying beside me Used to be my life was just emotions passing You'll always be a stay beside me Used to be my life was just emotions passing by Then you came along and made me laugh and made me cry You taught me why, baby, I'm